JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Athletic, James Boyd joins us. I know that part of this, James, is the fact that this is the idea that I had all along. I wanted to see him out there and getting those reps regardless of the situation in week one. So I know a lot of that is, oh, wow, great decision. That is is because I said that and they're doing what I had mentioned. But it, <laughs> it, but it does seem, right, it does seem logical when you think about it. You got two joint practices coming up. You get the Bears game on Saturday. You get him more work and then you get that constant question out of the way for them and him and he could just worry about prepping himself to the best of his ability moving forward here right yeah for sure i mean at the end of the day they had to make a decision they had to invest in the youth the person that they drafted number four overall so i think it makes a ton of sense to play him right now and then you just let the lumps kind of come he talked about it today it's going to be ups and downs might be more downs than ups to start but at the end of the day what Anthony Richardson gives you is a lot more at his ceiling than what Gardner Minshew can give you. They know what they have in Gardner Minshew, roll with the young guy, believe in the young guy, and hope that he can become the next great quarterback for this franchise. Yeah, and I I think what else I had to bear in mind with my thought, even before seeing him play as we did in practices so far and certainly in Buffalo on Saturday, is that if he's deemed unready, that's it's just a bad thought all the way around, I think, to start the season. And, James, I will say this. Uh, this team needs a little bit of juice, and he's capable. He'll make some mistakes, as we mentioned, but he'll provide some juice at times as well. And for this organization with its fan base, it's necessary right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to rehash everything this Colts fan base has been through over the last, you know, four or five years, but, you know, Cliff Notes version is, Every quarterback you've had in some form or fashion has broken your heart during that time. So you want to have a quarterback who gives you that hope, that optimism. And I think he brings that along with a real opportunity to, you know, not just be a feel-good story, but be a story of excellence. Because I think that he has a lot of the stuff that you can't teach. And if you can teach some of these things, he can be a great player. Now, is he going to be that tomorrow? Probably not. But one of these tomorrows could be that, you know, that day that he's arrived. So James Boyd of The Athletic covers the Colts. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I want to talk about the thickness of the playbook to start the regular season, but we'll first think about it in terms of Saturday. How much more are we going to see from him coming up Saturday after these joint practices? How much do you expect him to play? And will there be a couple of more pages, you think, added to the playbook from what we witnessed last Saturday in Buffalo? I don't think there will be a lot of – 
added plays to the playbook, or at least what you see during that Saturday game. I think you'll see a lot more throughout the joint practices, whoever's out there. And the reason why is because you can't film um, the joint practices and they're not on film, so you're not going to be able to replay them and stuff like that. So maybe they're a little more loose and a little more um, detailed when it comes to the plays they run with them. Everything won't be so vanilla, but I don't expect it to be very detailed or very um, much of anything when it comes to Saturday's game because of the joint practices. And then as far as, you know, how exotic it could be, how much he could play, I think it all depends on how much he improves. I want him to say, want him to say improves, just how much they think he gains from the experience he has against the Bears stuff as well as practices. I think he plays Saturday, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's like two series and you're done because you've had, you know, two days of hard practices already. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense, too. It's, again, James Boyd with us, so – Anthony Richardson is the starter in week number one. I do want to get to that question before we move on here. How, how thick do you expect the playbook to be once the season is officially underway? I think it'll be pretty thick, but I do think it'll be less than what Gardner Minshew would have been working with had he been QB1 going to week one. I say that because obviously Gardner Minshew's been with Shane Steichen for the last couple of years and knows his system inside and out. Obviously, there are some differences to what you're going to do scheme-wise with Gardner Minshew versus Anthony Richardson. But I think they're going to streamline a lot of his stuff. And by that, I don't mean it's going to be like, you know, backyard football. You got three plays, you're just drawing up in the dirt. Um, But I do think they will probably continue to add to his play, add to what, you know, they want him to do. But right now, I think a lot of it will probably just have to do with making sure they put him in situations where his reads are simple, look here, look here, throw here, run here where he's not having to process everything all at once. Now, you'd like to see him get to that level, you know, be that Peyton Manning, that Andrew Luck, that cerebral type of quarterback. But with so much going on right now, I think the key is just to get him out there, make him feel comfortable, and then build on top of that once you see that he's comfortable. James, we saw his touch, even though Alec Pierce did not come up with a catch he should have on Saturday. But his down-the-field touch is exceptional, really, for his lack of of working in the NFL and certainly even going back to college. Now, the whole throwing it into tight spaces and tight windows is something that's going to take a lot of time here. So I guess what I'm asking, how much do you think in that playbook there are going to be those deep shots down the field, considering that maybe his best asset that's not him running and moving and his athleticism is being able to put touch on that football deep? Yeah, I think a lot of it will have to just come down to how much he works at it. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to tailor it towards his strengths, right? You can't expect him to be a pocket, you know, pinpoint passer off day one and make all your plays um, based off of that skill set because they didn't have that skill set right now. So I think they'll, you know, work it in pretty well, see how he progresses in practice. But I do like what, like you said, what you see from the deep ball, the touch, the accuracy, the feel for it. But you can't throw it deep every time. So he's going to have to get better across the intermediate and shorter passes. But I think he will. To me, Jay, like a lot of it has to come down to his feet and his lower body. Like that's the only time that he's ever really off is when he's like rushing and then he reverts back to maybe some bad mechanics through his lower body. So as long as he gets those things lined up, as you saw throughout that preseason opener, he usually gets the ball to where it's supposed to go if he takes the time to set his feet and like just drive it in. Yeah, I, I just like the whole deep ball 
has been non-existent for such a long time with Colts fans. I think if you <laughs> yeah. throw it down there a couple of times, it's like a feel-good story. And 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 you know what, James? As I mentioned this too, it is so necessary to juice up this fan base a little bit. I mean, it really is. And I I, I hate to overuse it. My comparison with this team and where they're going to the Pacers of last year, I think is reasonable because the Pacers got the fan base juiced up on a product that was not postseason worthy, but you could tell was going down the right path. And that is a similar project to which the Colts, I think, have to do and proceed with this season. Something what we saw with the Pacers, I think, would work for the Colts. So some excitement and some hope with a young quarterback and a team and that shot of juice is yet another reason why I'm assuming fan base is happy that Anthony Richardson is going to be installed as that week one starter. Yeah, absolutely. I think the same thing. I talked about this with Jimmy cook on the midday show more than once, actually, where you want to see the progress. You want to see some steps taken forward. And then at the end of it, if you're feeling good about, you know, your guy, your franchise cornerstone, like the Patriots do with Tyrese Halliburton, you feel really good about Anthony Richardson and you stack up, you know, many losses, you get another high pick. That's probably a, a great season overall for you because, I mean, let's be honest, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. They're not going to, you know, go on some deep playoff run. However, if they win, let's say, you know, five, six, seven games and, you know, they get a top 10 draft pick again next year and they've seen progress from Anthony Richardson, that's a win in my book, you know, big picture wise, because you want to just make sure you're developing your young quarterback. And then if you get to add another, you know, uh, chip or piece, foundational piece to that roster after next year's draft, then you're, you're in good hands, I think, or in good shape considering where you were just two or three years ago. Speaking of James, chip and foundational piece. I know that I oversimplify this, and it drives people nuts. And my apologies, but I can't help myself. If there is another situation around the NFL where it is so blatantly obvious that one needs the other, in this case, as much as Jonathan Taylor needs the Colts and vice versa, I would like to know where that is. And at some point, I would love to see this come together, um, but I think that that's kind of a fairy tale where we are right now. I mean, the believability of having to trade him, go against what Jim Irsay said about a month ago or, you know, something else, I, I can see. But the playing part is one I just can't see. But why is it so hard for both sides here? I know business-wise that plays the role, but why is it so hard for both sides to understand, in this case, how much they need each other with this team? My brother, if I had the answer, I feel like I would just be like a, a counselor or a therapist yeah. for both of them. You know, let's come in for couples counseling and get this worked out. You know, you say your piece, you say your piece, you, you know, kiss and make up. But, I mean, it's just not like that. I think that obviously things kind of disintegrated after the tweet, you know, barrage from Ursay and the agent and JT jumping in there. So I just think that they felt very contentious since then. But I think – the selling point on both sides is Anthony Richardson. For the Colts, you're like, man, you you know, you feel good about what you got. But exactly. You feel a lot better if you have him back there with you. And then with JT, the flip side is like, man, I think that if you can show your value alongside Anthony Richardson, bounce back and have a great season, maybe then they're like, you know what? He got 1,500 yards this year alongside our future quarterback. Maybe we do pay this guy and line him up for the next two or three years and, and, and make sure that he's around. So – um, I just think that both sides have to kind of understand that it's not going to get, you know, resolved to the point where everyone's happy. You're not going to be happy. JT in particular, 
they have most of the leverage, so you're probably not going to be happy. But the CBA, which I read through, you know, unwillingly, it was not fun, but um, I did it. It, You don't have much leverage, man. So I think that he has to at some point um, get back out there. And everyone keeps freaking out because the coach is saying, oh, he's left the team. He's back now. Back means you're back practicing. So until that happens, every Colt fan listening, there's no story there at all. No news. So I stand with this until – now, something gives me a reason to believe otherwise. I think that this is a hold in. I, I think that there is little to do with the health concern right now as there is to do with, I don't want to get out there because I'm mad about the situation. Do you think it's more of a health situation or more of a kind of hold in situation with a running back right now? I'm honestly not sure, but I could see both sides to it. But at the same time, I think, all of this could be put to bed if JT actually talked. But at the same time, you know, if you talk, you're going to have to answer questions you may not want to hear. So I could see both sides to it. I do think that there is um, the elephant in the room that, hey, maybe he is using it as a holdout, doesn't have to, you know, be fine if he's on the pup list. But I wrote this the other day, actually yesterday, after we spoke to Ed Dodds, the assistant general manager, because I asked him point blank. You know, is the expectation for JT to play for the Colts this season? He's like, hey, I'll let Chris Ballard handle that. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I when Chris Ballard talks again, I'll ask him. I'll, I mean, I'll ask yeah. anybody that's willing sure. to be out there in the public. But, I mean, the rubber's going to meet the road by week one. And if he's not, you know, practicing or around the team or an active member of actually playing or practicing, then I think that we're going to see the consequences or maybe some real action kind of come out of this because right now they're at a stalemate doesn't really matter but once these games start getting involved and again anthony richardson starts getting involved i think both sides are gonna have to realize hey whatever is going on the consequences might be greater than we have anticipated james boyd joins us from the athletic i mentioned this earlier and i i think that that both sides incredibly need one another but what do you think they believe do you think the Colts think that, yeah, you know what, really, we don't need him as much as people like this numbnut here in the afternoon on the radio would say? <laughs> and do you think the same could be mentioned regarding what Jonathan Taylor believes? I think that this is a perfect spot for him to help himself incredibly while helping his team right now. Do you think he believes that? Do you think either side's on the same page as we might be right now regarding this situation? I think that the Colts understand how valuable JT is, but they're also working at a point of leverage where, like, we don't have to pay you more than we, you know, have to. We don't want to pay you more than we have to. But the reason why I say that I think they know his value and how much he means to the team is because they won't get rid of him. Like, if you were fed up with him and thought you could just move on from JT and be fine, whatever, you would have just traded him as soon as he said they want to trade. But the reason why they won't trade him is because he's really good and they want to keep him, you know, as a really good player for really cheap. And so – they understand it. And then for JT, I think it's all about the financials. Like, um, maybe he feels like, hey, I'm more valuable. I can be a value to any team. I can go anywhere and produce, which he probably could. However, they own your rights. They own, you know, your future right now. So until you give them that final year of your rookie deal, you have zero leverage. Like, for example, you know, the guy in Las Vegas, Josh Jacobs, he doesn't have to report right now because he's not technically under contract. He was franchise tagged, but he didn't sign it. He didn't sign it because he already finished his rookie deal. Now he's trying to get a second contract. But with JT, it feels like all this is a year early. You got to play your contract out, and then you'll have at least more leverage—not great leverage, but more of it. Yeah, it. Um, 
<laughs> Sometimes the business gets in the way. I realize that, but it is it is mind numbing, man. Yeah, it when it and when it gets personal, I think all of that sort of clouds what decisions you make because now your feelings might be hurt on either side. You might feel prideful, but at the end of the day, you got to look in the mirror and fi- figure out okay, how much do you want this to cost you? both financially and, I guess, as far as your career goes, too. I know you – and you bring up a good point, and I wanted to ask you that, too. Do you think that if Jim Irsay hadn't started this in social media with that first statement he made out of the gate, do you think we're still where we are right now? Or, you know, did that expedite this thing to to places in which maybe both sides didn't think they were ultimately going to go? Yeah, I think it kind of expedited it because then you might feel disrespected because of the tweet. And I know he came out later and said, oh, it wasn't about, you know, Jonathan Taylor. But, hey, man, got to read the room. You know, you have a top five running back, top three running back, arguably the best running back in the league on your roster, and you're going out there saying, hey, well, these guys don't deserve any money. Or he didn't say that. You know, I won't put words in his mouth. But he basically said – trying to renegotiate the CBA and trying to change things is, yeah. you know, uh, not something I'm w- willing to do or, and, and the agents are operating in bad faith that you had to know that was going to sting. And then after that, it's like, okay, gloves are off. I'm going to say what I want to say. The agent did JT chimed in. So ever since then, I think that we kind of got to a point where it feels like there's no way to reconcile, but I mean, if the Colts want to be stubborn, they remain with the upper hand and can just, you know, tell him flat out, you know, you're going to be a cult this season and you got to play for us. Now, he could go full James Harden and say, you know, I don't want to play for you ever again and everyone's a liar, but I just don't see JT going that route. So James Boyd of The Athletic with us. I'm assuming I was just talking to Greg Rakestraw and Jim Irsay, as he usually is, will be in the booth in that second preseason game at Lucas Oil Stadium coming up in the third quarter on Saturday. So. Uh, he's going to get asked that. That'll be the most interesting aspect of that interview beyond Anthony Richardson and anything else is what his answer might be coming up on, on Saturday evening during that game as to where they are with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that's going to be the first time you guys, I guess, have been able to ask anybody or at least hear anybody have to, of consequence, answer that particular question this Saturday. Absolutely. And I'll ask Jim Mercy if I'm given the chance the same question that I asked Ed Dodds and I'll ask Chris Ballard the same question directly do you expect Jonathan Taylor to play for the Colts this season because everything right now is oh he's out you know medical issue or he'll be back when he's ready all of that sounds dandy we've heard that for weeks you know and I'm not saying that Shane Steichen is in a great position right now to speak on the decisions of the team and and quite honestly he's kind of in a tough spot because he has to answer this stuff every day but I'm going to ask about it, and it's going to be the topic. And we talked about how much Anthony Richardson is going to play. Look, after those first two series, you know, I'll make sure to keep paying attention and look at some of the depth guys who might, you know, sneak in for that three-man roster cutoff. But the story will be whatever Jim Irsay says, um, which is usually the case whenever he talks because we know um, he usually gives us, you know, for better or worse, his true thoughts on pretty much any matter you uh, ask him about, whether it's football, you know, sausage, or uh, UFOs and aliens. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, being on the stage and singing September the 8th and having Chris Angel drop from the uh, ceiling of the roof of Lucas Oil Stadium. <laughs> uh, a lot going on around here, too. I'll tell you what, too. man. Jim Irsay enjoys himself. He lives no, his life. Yeah, like yeah. I always yep. say, 
at least he does speak his mind about the decisions he makes. Now, you might not agree with him, but there's many owners and many leagues who don't talk ever, and you just left to wonder what they're thinking. But at least to his credit, he will talk. I just wonder. I said this yesterday, and I said – if, if you know, Jim Irsay, if the Colts were just able to massage monetarily the situation, whether it's in the present or whatever, would that help things out right now? Do you think ultimately that Jonathan Taylor's rep just came up with such an outrageous number that the Colts aren't even thinking about moving forward with a dime more right now because of that? You, you think that could be the situation behind the scenes? It's a possibility, but I don't think so. I don't either. I think the yeah. whole point is that the Colts themselves decided, hey, we're just not going to offer you. I'm, I don't think that JT walked into, you know, Jim Mercy's office and said, hey, pay me, you know, the, the max and, and pay me the way above the market value, all this stuff. I think that they were kind of like, you know what, we're actually not going to extend you like we've done for other players. And you got to go out there and prove that, one, you're healthy. And um, also – although you're a running back that you should be valued more than other running backs. And so um, I think that at the end of the day, the most reasonable explanation for why they're at this standoff beyond the tweets and stuff is that he never received an offer in the first place. And so that has to feel um, a bit irritating. If you're like, man, dang, a year and a half ago, I was first team all pro last year. I was banged up, but I still had 800 yards and had pretty good, you know, performances in some of the games. And you're not going to offer me anything, nothing. And so that, to me, was kind of alarming to, as a revelation. But, I mean, if we're looking at it strictly from a business standpoint, the Colts have no reason to extend him right now. Hey, James, do you think that maybe the Colts were surprised? Do you think maybe they felt that Jonathan Taylor would have handled this more like Michael Pittman Jr. has? And I know that we're talking about different positions altogether, different monetary situations, but do you think that they were surprised in the reaction, the response that they got? Because it's clear that they did not want to pay him a cent more going into the final season of his contract. Do you think they've been surprised about all this and maybe thought that he would handle this more as we've seen with Michael Pittman Jr. in the final year of his deal? You know what? I'm not sure if they were surprised by it. I personally am, and and I think that I will say they probably were surprised because JT has always been sort of like the Boy Scout, say the right things, do the right things, and honestly seems like a stand-up human being up until this point. Now, I don't you know think he's a bad person or anything, but obviously things have gotten a little less uh, cordial between him and the team. But I think that where Pittman was a bit wiser was that he was never – fully one way or the other. You know, for example, JT came out in April and was like, you know, goody two shoes, Boy Scout answer. Hey, I signed the contract. I made an obligation to them. You know, I got to go out there and do my job. I'm not too worried about it. And then he took a complete 180 and was like, you know, hey, you know, you see why guys request trades and we want to be valued and this and that. And you have the tweets. With Michael Pittman, when he was asked in April about a contract, he was always kind of in the middle. You know, hey, I I know I have one year left in my deal. I'm happy to be here, but you're always auditioning for every team in the NFL because it's very hard to be here. The Colts might tell me, hey, you're not good enough to be here. Someone else will have to come pick me up, and I want to just show that I can prove to anybody I can play. That's a nice middle-of-the-road answer and another answer for saying, yeah, anybody will pay me. And that's what JT didn't do. I think that he was way too far on one end, and now he's way too far on the other, whereas Pittman's kind of like, hey, I'm here. You know, every day is a grateful day to be here. I'm an NFL player. You know, I'm grateful to get paid whatever I get paid, and – 
you know, just hoping that, you know, I, I can succeed. And everyone's like, oh, he's a great team player. Yeah, but he also knows he's going to get paid, whether it's from the Colts or anybody. And if you listen to his quotes, a lot of it, it kind of hints at, hey, I will be successful anywhere. Someone asked him about Shane Sykin's uh, scheme. He's like, you know what, I'd be successful in any scheme. And so to me, I'm like, hmm, that means, hey, other teams are you listening, I'll be successful for you too if you pay me $20 million a year. So that's why I think Pittman was a little bit smarter just in his uh, – Burbage coming into these negotiations and the questions we asked them. Hey, James, final quick thing here. Uh, any notable player that may surprise fans out there, maybe in jeopardy of ultimately making this team to start the season? Anybody that stands out to you? I would say, you know, as far as impact players, I do think that Daryl Baker Jr. has a chance to really be an impact player. Now, I don't think he was like – someone that was going to be on the bubble or get cut. But I do think he has a chance, the way he's been playing, and even in that preseason game with a very nice pass breakup, it seems like every little step of the way he's done enough to grab your attention. Now, will it be enough to be a starter by week one? I'm not sure, but it seems like, you know, where where Dallas Flowers may have kind of tapered off a little bit, Daryl Baker Jr. hasn't. And so he's taking full advantage of his opportunities and I would not be shocked if he does that again during these joint practices and upcoming uh, preseason game against the Bears. All right, that's James Boyd of The Athletic. If you want to slide by tomorrow, spend a couple of minutes, you certainly can. I'll be up there during the uh, joint practice from 3 until 6 tomorrow, so I'll look for you. All right, man, I'll be there. I'll say what's up. You got it, James. Thanks, man. Thank you. James Boyd of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And joining us to talk about it from a Bears standpoint, Kevin Fishbane, who covers the Bears for the athletics with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I want to first ask you, Kevin, thanks for joining us. How is the how is the Eberflus Express doing going into year number two as the head coach up there? <laughs> the Fluce is loose. He's uh He's, he's feeling good. He's excited about year two. I think, um, you know, it's so interesting, the dynamic of having a defensive-minded head coach, when you, especially when you have a young quarterback, right? Like, Ibru Flus, I don't want to say he's, you know, uh, um, you know no, nobody thinks about him. But in terms of the people who are kind of most interesting, most intriguing, most important in the franchise, fans are talk about – they talk about the GM – they talk about the quarterback. They talk about the team president, and maybe even the offensive coordinator. More often, than they talk about Ed Eberflus, <laughs> even though he's obviously the one who's the voice of the team. He's the one overseeing all of this. Um, but I, I think that you know his goal in year one was to lay a foundation, to to set the culture, um, to bring his hits principle to Chicago. And as you guys know, in, in Indiana, I mean, he is a true and true football guy. I mean, he just wants to talk ball and coach ball. And, you know, if this thing takes off this year, um, it will be because of the quarterback. But I do think that a big part will be kind of what he has helped 
establish and, and kind of changing things around, which is something the Bears sorely needed. Hey, Kev, how much does he get into the offense of that team? Obviously, as you mentioned, he comes from a defensive angle. So I'm sure hugely involved there, but how much does he dabble into the offensive side with that Bears team? You know, he does a lot. You know, he goes to the, he's in the quarterback meeting room every day. Um, he really makes it a point to spend time with all three phases. Um, I, I would even venture to guess, I don't think he's any with the defense any more than he is the offense and the special teams units. Uh, you know, more so probably than some of the other coaches I've been around who, you know, obviously Matt Nagy was the play caller offense, so he was going to spend more time on offense. You know, same thing with Mark Trestman before that. Um, I think Iberfus does a great job of really overseeing this whole thing and, and making sure he is spending time with the offense and he's standing, you know, behind the quarterback during practice and talking to the offensive coaches and making sure he understands uh, the plays that are that are going on and he gives them the defensive perspective on them um, and he makes sure it's important that he and Justin Fields are uh, in sync. Uh, so it's something I've kind of been impressed with and it's something he said from day one. He was not going to call plays. He really wanted to make sure he had a grasp on all sides of the ball and everything he was he was overseeing. So, um, yeah, I would say he's he's probably with the offense just as much, if not more, than he's with the defense. Is there an argument to be had, or maybe no argument at all, Kevin, that the best thing that happened to the Bears a year ago was Houston not wanting to win and winning in the final week of the season here at Lucas Oil Stadium? Oh, it was. I mean, it was the best thing that happened to the Bears in a, a two decades. You know? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, even better. To, to, yeah, to to get that number one, it was. I mean, I was in the the Soldier Field press box that day watching. Um, you know, we all turned to the TVs in the press box to watch the the, the wild end of that Texans game, and uh, you know, it, it took more. And you heard you heard cheers around the concourses of Soldier Field. <laughs> from the fans who lingered out there as the final seconds waned on their season. I mean, to be able to get the haul that they did for that pick, DJ Moore, uh, the future first, the future second, uh, was massive for the future of this team. Um, Now, obviously, DJ Moore needs to continue being the player we've already seen this spring and summer and and be a star. Um, They need to hit on the draft picks that they got. Uh, It still, as I mentioned earlier, comes back to the quarterback, uh, but in terms of what the Bears want to establish, which is a consistent winner, not just a team that, you know, look, 0-1, they went 13-3, and didn't go to the playoffs again until 0-5. They make the Super Bowl in 0-6, they don't make the playoffs again until 2010. You know, they go 12-4 and in 2018, and then they kind of, they snuck into the playoffs in 2020, but people forget about that playoff appearance anyway. So, you know, Ryan Poles really wants to you know, do what most GMs want to do, but it was just such a priority to him. I want this team to be a team that lasts, that that, that is competitive for several years. Uh, and, and part of building that is building a team around this capital they got from trading the number one pick. So Kevin Fishbane for the Athletic covers the Bears. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I'll be up there tomorrow and then on Thursday for the joint practices with the Bears and the Colts at Grand Park in Westfield. You mentioned Justin Fields, and I want to get to him individually so far, the expectations in a moment. But you also mentioned DJ Moore. Uh, have we found out that you've got a, a really nice relatability between wide receiver and quarterback so far? Oh, absolutely. And everyone, including the players themselves, 
have noticed how quickly it came together. I mean, in spring practices, DJ Moore was far and away the number one target for Justin Fields. Um, and they kind of joked that they were they were even a little surprised uh, how quickly the two of them were able to establish a rapport. And I said this to somebody this morning, you know, it's not to say Justin Fields is not going to make some leap, is not going to show major progress. But right now, just based on what I've seen, the biggest difference for Justin Fields has been DJ Moore, not Justin Fields. You know, and, and obviously it's a credit to, to Fields. He's got to make the plays. He's got to make the recognition that Moore's there and get him the football accurately. But DJ Moore has just been the, the engine for the passing game uh, so far in, in camp. He's really um, been everything the Bears asked for. And, you know, look, the, we all know the games are a different animal. Um, and we start seeing different coverages and, and maybe teams try to take him away and, and seeing what he can do there. But this is somebody who produced at a very high level with very mediocre quarterbacks in Carolina. Uh, and, and now he, he's on this team um, with a couple of decent receivers around him um, and a quarterback that the team obviously believes in. So, uh, yeah, that so far he's been the best acquisition that the Bears have had. And, you know, it, I'm going to – the other thing I've been saying about D.J. Moore, and I understand is, is it going to sound like a low bar because the Chicago Bears – He's the best wide receiver I've seen on this team, period. And it's my 11th year on the beat. I know. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's not the highest of bars with that, historically speaking, anyway. But I get where you're coming definitely, from. Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, Musha Muhammad coined the phrase that Chicago's where wide receivers go to die. But I will say, I had Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey, Allen Robinson uh, in my time covering the team. So those, those guys aren't slouches. So, but, you know, but yeah, still not like the, the highest bar in the world. But I do think it's a credit to Moore and what he's been able to do so quickly you bring up one hell of a question here and see i i go back i i was a huge bears fan in the mid to late 70s through the 80s and basically into the mid 90s and then when i i took this this job um i, I kind of stopped being because this, this job makes you incredibly jaded anyway but uh anyway i think uh, as a former bears fan that the presence of, if not the stats showing, but the presence of during that era and that time, to me, Willie Galt is the greatest wide receiver of all time with the Bears. And I know that I'm sure the numbers won't show that, but where would he rank you? I know that's before your time, but would anybody in Chicago mention Willie Galt as being the greatest wide receiver of all time in Bears history? Oh, I think he's in the conversation, and you want to go back even further. I think you can talk about Johnny Morris. Yeah, no um, doubt. And, no doubt. And you go back even further, you got Harlan Hill. I mean, so they, they have uh, – but, no, I think when when you're talking about Bears receivers, you certainly talk about Willie Gall. Because the other thing, too, is especially when you go through the 90s and 2000s, you had like a blip from Marcus Robinson. You had a blip from Curtis Conway in, in, in the late 90s. Um, I mentioned Marshall and Jeffrey. Um, you know, you had mm-hmm. two great years from Allen Robinson. You had Marty Booker. Um, but in, in terms of like the 80s and 90s, you really didn't have anybody except for Willie Gall. So I, I do think that he's absolutely kind of always in that conversation. And they've tried. I mean, they get some moments from Curtis Conway, if I remember correctly, out of USC. There was there were some moments even going further back. But you know, it's it's like quarterbacks of which we'll talk about right now with Justin Fields I mean it had there have been some moments but by and large you don't look at him as any level of great like Eric Kramer had I think in the mid 90s a moment too where he was highly productive and that team was pretty good and obviously McMahon you know going to Super Bowl 20 and winning that but most people would still look at the defense as being so dominant that you know if you just manage things well you're going to get the job done which leads us now to Justin Fields, is he becoming, starting to become what everybody around there expected at this point in his career? Um, I, I'm not sure if he's there yet. 
I, I think that you've seen this summer a command of the offense that we haven't seen before. He's certainly taking a leadership uh, position with this team. Uh, I think this is as accurate as he's been in any training camp that I've seen him. Um, but I, I think the offense is still – it's still the passing game still needs work. Uh, and I'm not – I just haven't been ready to anoint him. And, and you know what? Frankly, the Bears themselves – I mean, the, the general manager, Ryan Poles, has been asked many times. He's never come out in full, with full-throated support that Justin Fields is our guy. We're given a contract extension after this year, no matter what. I mean, even they, even the front office uh, wants to see what happens this season when he has the weapons and a better offensive line, a second year in the same playbook and all that. I mean, we all know that he's got the physical abilities to make it happen. Um, what, to me, what's going to be such an important determinant for Justin Fields is going to be, you know, there's one minute, 27 seconds left. You got the ball at your own 25, you know, one timeout down by four. What are you going to do? And every time the Bears were in that situation last year, uh, they crumbled. And the only, you know, life they had and hope they had was Justin Fields' legs. Um, and, and look, it's, it's an incredible trait. I don't want to like poo-poo it. I mean, he might be the greatest running quarterback we've ever seen. Um, but teams, when teams take that away, when it's an it's obvious passing situation, um, is he going to make the right throws? Is he going to make the right throws on time? Is he going to make the right throws accurately? Um, and, and that we just won't know until the game is begin. I think a lot of fans in Chicago, even some in the media, are, are ready to say, that's it, we've got our guy, he's it. Um, I, I want to see what happens when the games begin because I just think that, uh, you know, the, the Bears have a really big decision to make at the end of the season. They have to know either way. Um, and, and I'm not saying he can't get there. I think he absolutely can. Uh, I think we've seen that he has the ability to do it. Um, but you can't – like I always say this about Justin Fields, you can't fully explain away the stats. Right, like there are myriad reasons why he was considered one, why he was statistically one of the worst quarterbacks in football throwing the football last year. You could talk about the offensive line, you could talk about um, the playmakers, you could talk about first year in the playbook having to come off um, his rookie season, which was a, a disaster, and then brand new staff, all of that stuff. But he doesn't get zero blame for that, right? Like he, he's still part of that. He's still the one throwing the football. So I think we have to figure out. How much is that going to improve? How much of that's going to be on him? Um, and, and then we can kind of decide uh, whether or not he's going to be the guy that gets the next you know, massive quarterback contract and is going to be the quarterback Bears fans have wanted uh, for, since Sid Luckman, if you will. Kevin Fishbane covers the Bears for the Athletic via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So where is the wonderful world of Chase Claypool at present time? I know he's been dinged up, but uh, where is he overall? Yeah, so we saw him grab his hamstring uh, last Wednesday. Uh, didn't pra- did not finish that practice. Didn't practice Thursday. Uh, didn't play Saturday. Didn't play Monday. I would guess that just based on the, how the Bears have been handling injuries, that he would not practice this week. Um, Chase Claypool is highly, highly competitive. Um, and I'm sure he would love to go at it with the Colts defensive backs just the way he's gone at it with the Bears defensive backs. Um, but I wonder when you're talking about it, if it's a soft tissue injury. Um, and, and one thing about Matt Eberflus, he is uh, tight-lipped about injuries. Um, if that's what it is, I don't know if you want to risk that when you're going to be put in a situation in joint practices where he's going to want to win every rep um, against the Colts. And, and, and that could be risky. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's sidelined this week. 
Um, I will say I thought he had a good camp up until the injury. I think you, you see at times the really rare size-speed combination that he has. Um, and he hadn't missed a day of camp until um, until grabbing that hamstring on a one-on-one rep uh, on Wednesday. He had, he had stayed healthy the whole time. So, you know, he didn't go to the locker room when that happened, which I think is a positive. It wasn't like they needed to work on it or, or get an X-ray right away. Um, but I, I just think the Bears have just been very, very safe with injuries, wanting to make sure they get everybody in week one as healthy as possible. Yeah, when they added Mercedes Lewis at tied in, the veteran at that position, you kind of knew that there was probably a lot going on at that position. What did they expect? And starting with Komet and obviously Robert Tanyan of the great Indiana State University, what are they expecting out of that position production-wise offensively this year? Yeah, I think I'm glad you bring it up because I think it's a bit of an underrated position for them. You know, Komet got the contract extension. He's coming off a you know a career year in certain statistical categories. He's still really young. Um, he's got all the he's got the length. He's got the athleticism to to be a really dynamic player. And here comes Robert Tanya. And you, know, you guys, as you said, you know he was a quarterback. Um, this is extremely athletic. Uh, played had some big numbers with Aaron Rodgers. He knows the system. Um, I, I think the Bears can are in position to run a lot more two tight end sets. And then you got Mercedes Lewis, who's probably going to be your blocker. Um, I don't I don't expect him to be him to be out there a ton during the season um, as the number three tight end. But again, just wily veteran knows the scheme, knows how to get the job done. Because um, because ultimately this is probably still going to be a, a, a team that runs the ball more than it throws the ball. Um, when you look at their stable of running backs, when you look at Justin Fields' own running ability, um, you know I think that they still want to be able to run the football a lot. Um, and, and tight ends are a big part of that. That opens up the play-action game. Um, where and, and it's back to Komet. He and Justin Fields have a really good rapport together. Um, they, they, you know, this is their third season together now. So um, I do think that's a position to kind of keep an eye on. Um, the addition of Tanya might might be pretty underrated when you look at all the ads the Bears made. Hey, Kevin, a year ago, and this has been an ongoing saga, basically going all the way back to Robert Mathis's days here, but the Colts have been looking for a consistent edge rusher and thought with a deal last offseason, maybe they found it in Yannick Ngakwe. And while he put up some numbers at the position, uh, certainly there wasn't much consequence in the numbers that he did put up. What do the Bears defensively feel that they're getting in him and their edge rusher? Is it going to be kind of like what we saw a year ago or are there higher expectations there? Yeah, it's kind of a wait and see. It's a them, it's a low risk, um, high reward kind of move. They had all the cap space in the world to make it happen. Um, they desperately needed help on the edge. Uh, they know that he has the abilities. You know, he's got the chop move, as you guys saw multiple times last year. They just, you know, he's just trying to figure out if he can do it consistently um, in a full season, put something together. He would, and if he does, then the Bears will reward him and keep him here for a couple more years. Um, if he doesn't, it's a one-year deal. You know, they had the money to pay him, and, and he moves on to another team, um, which has been the story of his career over the past few seasons. So, you know, it, it's, it's funny because it just – I understand all that comes with Ngakwe, and, and there's a reason he's been on this many teams. And a, a lot of those sacks last year were in garbage time and, um, you know, weren't reflective of what he's done, obviously, because the fact that he was available still in early August. But – the Bears were about to enter the season with Demarcus Walker and Rasheem Green as their starting defensive end. I mean, they had to get somebody in there with some, you know, legitimate pass rush ability. 
um, that they could count on. And so, you know, I, who knows what they're going to get from Ngakwe, but whatever it is, it's probably better what they had. Um, so it, it just, it, the move made a ton of sense in the world. And if it's a six or seven sack season and they see the same thing that, you know, Colts fans saw and Ravens fans saw and, and you go through the teams and then they move on and they've got all the resources in the world draft-wise, cap-wise, to really reinforce and fortify that position next offseason. Are the expectations high this year from a fan base standpoint? Are they they too high? Or is in large part a lot of that because there's always a lack of belief in Minnesota? It's a believe-it-to-see-it kind of thing. Uh, see it when you uh, – actually believe it when you see it with Detroit. And then you got Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay right now. So does that kind of add to the depth, if you will, of the expectations of the Bears that – you know, that could be a little bit iffy because they may not be ready for prime time just yet, but that expectation with his fan base is always there and maybe even higher this year by virtue of the goings-on in and around the division. Yeah, it's a great point because you finally get rid of Rodgers, and I think that Bears fan, you know, there's not a, you know, the, the national belief in Detroit doesn't really hit home locally. I think a lot of Chicago fans are like, you can't convince me the Detroit Lions are actually going to win the division. Um, you know, again, we, nobody really knows what to expect from Jordan Love, and the Vikings are the Vikings. And, and I, I think that, you know, we, we saw how good they can be next last season. Um, you know, the way I'll describe it is this. There's a lot of excitement. I think there's as much excitement for this Bears team as I've seen in a long time. And, you know, 2019, there was a ton coming off that 12-4 and season um, but this, you know, all engineered by Justin Fields, there's crazy excitement and intrigue. But I do think expectations are kind of tempered where, you know, maybe the highest, you know, highest watermark is like a 10-win team. You know, you guys are going to see this too, I'm sure, next summer. You know, if Anthony Richardson shows all these really good flashes but has your standard rookie, you know, ups and downs, yeah. Colts go 6-11, 7-10. But but you but you come out of the season knowing that Anthony Richardson was was the great pick. I mean, it's going to be wild excitement around Indy next year, and I think we're seeing that around town now. The fans believe they saw what they needed to see about Justin Fields. Ryan Pohl surrounded him with better talent. So yeah, th- this excitement is really really high. Um, but I do think fans kind of understand that it might take another year. Um, and, and of, of fields progressing, of this whole team coming together, uh, for them to really be talking about what Ryan Paul said he was going to do when he got here, which is take the North. Well, and you're right, Kevin, on the money regarding Anthony Richardson and you know, the low level of expectations, and then you know getting you know a signature performance or two to make real believers out of the Colts and their fan base here with their rookie quarterback in mind. What was the signature performance for Justin Fields that got Bears fans believing that? Mm, that's a great question. Um, you know, because his his first start, he got sacked nine times, and it was the worst offensive performance for the Chicago Bears in like ninety years, which is really saying something. After when you think about all of the teams the Bears have put on the field um, in the last forty, um, I, I mean, he didn't really have one as a rookie. If you go back, like, there just wasn't that um, watershed moment because the that Bears team didn't really use his legs. Um, very much. And even the start of this past season, it took a few games. You know, the New England Patriots game on Monday Night Football, uh, and the Bears went out, out to Foxborough, and we all know Bill Belichick's record against young quarterbacks. 
and they won. I believe the score was 33-14. He ran for 80 yards, threw for a couple touchdowns, got some help from the defense. That sparked things, and then he went on this crazy historic run of rushing yards against Miami, against Detroit, against Dallas, um, where we were seeing things we'd never seen before in football. So those were the moments um, last season that got everybody fired up. And for Bears fans, it was the absolute dream because he was pointing up these numbers, and they kept losing and getting them closer and closer. That number one pick was a very odd team to cover where I'm sitting there being like, well, they, they, they blew it in the fourth quarter, and I had fans – you know, in the comments being like, you don't know what you're talking about. This was a great loss for the Bears. Um, and, and, that you know, you guys could be dealing with that come December, January, if the Colts are clearly out of the playoffs, where you have this back and forth where you want the great draft pick, but you also want to see Richardson do amazing things at the same time. Um, it's a strange thing that the way that the, the, the fans' obsession with the draft is created. Um, but, yeah, Fields didn't have that kind of seminal moment as a rookie. It really came during that stretch midseason last season, which I think you'd argue is kind of like his rookie year because of the brand-new offense and a brand-new team. Uh, and final thing, too, if they don't hit expectations, who's on the hot seat? Is it always going to be the decision maker there, like in this case, Ryan Poles? Is it Eberflus? Um, is, is it somebody else? Is it the quarterback? Who, who gets the hot seat if the expectations, according to the fan base and the media around there, is not met? Yeah, well, if the quarterback struggles, Matt Eberflus at the ultimate out. They could say he was not our guy. We did not draft him. We did not trade up to draft him. That was those guys who came before us who we replaced. Um, now we have, the, we have the Carolina Panthers draft pick next year. We have our draft pick next year. We could figure this out. You know, they could do an old Indianapolis Colts thing of using those picks to go trade for a veteran, or they could move up and, and draft somebody else. You know, that's kind of worst-case scenario at quarterback. If Fields plays well, and this defense is atrocious or there's injuries everywhere or you just have letdowns from all the acquisitions, you know, you could look at Matt Eberflus being a bit of a scapegoat in that situation, I think, um, where maybe they realize that they need somebody different um, to run this thing. But I think these guys have a long leash, again, because the quarterback was not their choice, because they've made it very clear to ownership that this is going to take some time. And you have an ownership group that does not like to make decisions in haste. This is a family that, that wants stability, um, seeks stability, and I don't think anybody's on the hot seat barring an absolute disastrous season. As I said, if it's a disastrous season, it's probably because of the quarterback. Yeah. And, and these guys can just say, hey, we, you know, we didn't pick them. We tried our best, and, and now give us the opportunity to find our own guy. Um, and, and, and you guys have kind of seen how that's happened at times in Indianapolis um, with GMs and coaches going here and there and the quarterbacks and Andrew Luck. So, um, that that's the situation the situation the Bears would be in um, if, if things go really really wrong. It would probably be the quarterback's fault. But you know, I, I think what's more likely is that Justin Fields is good. He's better, but you have this weird situation at the end of the year where he might not be four hundred million dollars good, but he's good enough. What do you do now? I think that and, and that's not a very enviable spot for the Bears to be in. Because um, he'll be up for a new con- or he'll be eligible for a new contract at the end of the year, but I think that's probably more likely than um, things really going out of out of control. It could be that they go seven and ten, and you're sitting here watching Justin Fields, and you say, "Okay, we saw a lot of good things." but we're not really sure, and that's going to be a very difficult situation for the Bears to yeah. be in. There's a general manager here in Chris Ballard that has won 
playoff win in uh, going into his seventh year right now. So I'm sure Chicago probably would have done something with him about nine times by now, considering the resume. So it uh, it is is weird how things happen. Uh, certainly in the NFL, where you know somebody gets a longer leash, or in this case, a reboot with Chris, and how you know if things don't go right with the quarterback position, you can say that that wasn't mine, but you know people still may hold you ultimately accountable around there. So who knows how that ultimately goes in terms of not living up to expectations. Kevin, man, I appreciate that. Got a couple of joint practices coming up tomorrow and then on Thursday and then the Colts and the Bears coming up preseason game two on Saturday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Kevin Fishbane, the athletic covers the Bears fantastically on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for dropping in. Yep, thanks for having me. Kevin Fishbane right there. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. You heard him on Saturday do a great job alongside Rick Venturi and Lara Overton also on the field with all the interviews for that preseason game one with the Colts and their loss to the Bills. Greg Rakestraw joins us. So Scott Tolzien, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Anthony Richardson. Here we are, Greg. Here we are. And it's it's the end result that I thought would happen. I didn't think they, in one sense, needed to make up their mind until the end of the preseason. But at the same time, like today's practice is one of the last ones they will have just as the Colts, really until the weekend of like the 26th or 27th, because it's two joint practices in play, quick trip to Philadelphia, joint practice and then play, And so the thing that Shane Steichen said on about three or four different occasions uh, in in practice today was basically, or in his press conference today, was more along the lines of, we wanted to get him as many reps with the ones as possible. So clearly they felt they had seen enough, and it was time to cast the die in this direction, and I absolutely think it's the right move. No, I do too. I think the timing's right. I think everything's right. And people are going to say, well, that's because this has been, of your opinion, the entire time. And while that may have some accuracy to it, I like the timing. you got joint practices with the Bears. You play them on Saturday, um, and you give him – ample opportunity to even more so prepare himself Uh, you could not have asked for better timing I thought that was the logical move today and whereas I don't believe in the two sides what they're doing between Taylor and the Colts is logical whatsoever this decision is what I would say is 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 this is that it was going to be Anthony's job unless he showed in training camp he was not ready for it and that has not been the case um, now, does it mean everything's going to be perfect this year? Far from it. You know, are there mistakes that he is going to make? Absolutely. You saw one of those on Saturday, even if Isaiah McKenzie ran the wrong route, which seemingly is the consensus. Still probably a, a play where Richardson's better off just chucking that one to section 127 and, and not trying to complete a pass there. Um, but the things that he did well, like that ball to Grant from the middle of the field, 
That was jaw-dropping, the fastball he threw to get it past the outstretched hands of the linebacker on that play. So there's going to be some good, some bad. But I always thought the default answer, unless proven otherwise, was that Anthony Richardson was your day one starter, and that's the decision that was announced today. So Greg Rakestraw's got to you doing the Saturday one, right? That is correct. So I get this one, and then uh, Prime kicks me to the curb next Thursday night. Oh, man, stinking Prime. Do you want me to sign that right I'm, now, Todd? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to hang in the studio and do yes. the post game show only next Thursday instead. Todd's wanting me to sign something right now. Todd Meyer, our executive producer, extraordinaire Greg is in studio right now and wants well, me to if sign something. Money signing, and if not, don't. So am I the am I the bearer or I'm the card bearer, right? That's me. Do I sign both these? <laughs> 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 Greg, Greg, you like that? Sorry, I can't. Yeah, I don't. I don't even sign that pin. Doesn't work. Come on, Todd, give me a pin that works. Hey, you know what? It's interesting. Had they decided to make the decision and not feel it necessary, or feel like that he's not ready to start in week number one, I because of his inefficiency, because he's simply not ready. That that's a scary proposition right there, Greg. And I know that you could say, well, only you know, thirteen games collegiately, but there's a proposition that you could start talking about if you deemed him unworthy of that in week number one to start the season, that he was the wrong guy selected. And you don't want any thoughts like that whatsoever in anybody's mind. There has never been a sense this entire time that he has been overwhelmed. I think that would be the reason why you wouldn't start him in in week number one. And let's face it, uh, NFL offenses aren't simple, but they're a little more simplified than they used to be. There's a little more similarity to the college game to the pro game, which makes it easier for those younger rookie quarterbacks able to start. The other thing that I would say is this. The, the, The two kind of main questions he seemingly has answered, which is why this is, is so unique. If you normally say, listen, this kid has all of the athletic gifts, which he clearly does, and he's yet to put a foot wrong in terms of you know, kind of his actions, what he has to say, which generally means the intangibles are there. So if you've got the athleticism and the intangibles, usually it's a slam dunk. Hey, this dude's going to be a winner. It's just because of his inexperience that, that there's any sort of question mark. So if that's the case, what does he need more than anything to go and play? Which is exactly the course the Indianapolis Colts have set him on as of this morning. And by the way, shout out to Mike Chappell who tweeted out from 2017 until now the list of opening week quarterbacks for the Colts. (laughs) And I, I hate putting it this way, I guess, but you look at it and when people ask all the time, you know, will Andrew Luck ever get in the ring of honor? You look at his name there in 2018 and then what transpired after that, uh, 19, 20, 21, 22, and really all but 20 right there with Rivers. I think the laundry list of casualties after Andrew Luck quit like that would keep him out of the ring of honor forever, right? It's got to look that way. It's the way it looks to me if you see it on paper. I think he he will get in at some point. Now, Now they're going to have to win first. They have to win first. Is he a Hall of Famer? No, he didn't play long enough. Uh, is he a Colts Ring of Honor member? Yes. I think that'll be some point in time down the road. This team is going to have to be winning at a high caliber clip to even approach that around here. But uh, for later days, no doubt about yes. that. Um, 
I mentioned yesterday, and Greg Rakestraw's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, the the sense that I have regarding how important it is to have somebody like Jonathan Taylor behind you. And again, if if healthy, I always have to to utilize that. But you agree with that too? I mean, now you've installed Anthony Richardson as a starter, right. and I thought that was a good decision. But still, uh, what is not a great decision really on, on either side here is the fact that you know, Jonathan Taylor is not – yeah, preparing, not getting ready, and not starting in this backfield as he should be right now, which would help tremendously. Is he an asset that you think is is kind of needlessly on the sideline right now when you know that both sides need one another in this, in the case of business, or is this just kind of the value in this case, Greg, of doing business? What I, what I would say is this. Um, again, we, we, do, we just don't know on health. We, we simply do not know at this point. So to answer your first question, yes, it would be much easier for Anthony Richardson if number 28 is lining up in the backfield next to him. If, if that, one of the best running backs in the game, if that is one of your primary weapons and you, something you've got to take pressure off of the quarterback, that would make life easier for him. Absolutely. There is also something to be said when you've got a young quarterback who you feel is going to be your quarterback for the next several years, there is something to be said about, hey, if there's a guy that for whatever reason doesn't want to be here from potentially moving on and saying, all right, we, we want to make everybody's kind of point, make sure everybody's pointing in the same direction at this point. So honestly, I can see both sides of it. I certainly hope that Jonathan Taylor is back on the field sooner rather than later. And, again, he wasn't going to play in the preseason anyway. Um, and so it, it's, it's as we get closer to September 10th where I think this is it's a big deal where it gets to be an even bigger deal than it is right now. But, yes, life would be easier for Anthony Richardson if JT was here, happy, and playing. But that's not the case. And if the Colts elect to go in a different direction, I understand because you are at kind of a, a, a starting over point with the way this offense is being built. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We shall see. Also, Friday night marks the start of the high school football season. What are some of the stories and what do you like about the beginning stages of yet another high school football campaign, Greg? Well, the, the, the storyline the first couple of weeks, at least at the larger levels, will be Indy versus Fort Wayne. And we've never had that before because the Summit Athletic Conference in Fort Wayne has usually played a full round-robin schedule. Uh, they are not doing that this year. They're going to let their schools play non-conference games in week one and week two. And so the top Fort Wayne schools, you know, and it's, it, it's easy to draw the line at Snyder, Carroll, Homestead, they're playing Warren Central, Hamlin, Southeastern, Carmel, respectively, in week number one. So this kind of gives us a good cross-reference. And while Snyder is in 5A, everybody else is in 6A. I've got Snyder and Warren Central as my game Friday night, by the way, on my TV as well as the ISC Sports Network. So that is one of the storylines. The other storyline would be, and there's more than one, obviously, but, you know, Center Grove not playing anybody from the state of Indiana until week number six. And so that is something that we're going to be talking about extensively for the first few weeks. They are the favorites in 6A. Now, I think Ben Davis is pretty good. I think Warren Central is pretty good. I think Hamilton Southeastern, I think, is pretty good. I mean, the semi-state last year. I think Franklin Central could, could be lying in wait 
for, for Senator Ove as well because Jason West can really coach. He's won state championships at two different locations. It'd be a matter of time before they started winning at Franklin Central, and that's about to happen. Uh, and so don't sleep on the flashes in, in, in 6A coming up as well. But Senator Ove is the favorite. Does this schedule, because of the caliber of teams they'll be playing every week, does that beat them up at all? You know, they kind of have time to recover uh, by the time they get to late October, early November. And so that's a storyline as well. Um, and then after that, you know, we'll kind of see. Uh, I, I think there is, if not in every class, in several classes, there is at least a prohibitive favorite or two that you are pointing to. And a lot of times it's going to be, hey, can this group defend a championship a la Senator Grove? Because if Senator Grove wins this year, they will have won four consecutive state titles, something no one has accomplished in the decade history of 6A. And to go back to the last team and the only team in the largest classification to do it, you got to go to the Warren Central Super Team of 2003 through 2006. You mentioned CG2 over in Massillon, Ohio, uh, the side of the Hall of Fame over there, right? And uh, and uh, yep. I think it was at Tom Benson Field, I believe, is what the Hall of Fame Field Correct. is called they over there. We're playing at Massillon at Paul Brown yeah. Stadium. I'm going to name it for Paul Brown there. That has been moved to the Hall of Fame yeah. venue, and they are not playing until Saturday this weekend. St. Edward of Ohio, which I believe nationally ranking-wise yep. is higher than Senator Grove, but they're both kind of in a similar category. Oakland out of Tennessee, Louisville Trinity, Cincinnati Moeller, Harvest Prep, and then as you mentioned, the 22nd of September, LC, finally in state on the road at LC. Uh, That is a worthy beginning. It's very similar, uh, not the same, but similar to I I think Cathedral started out some seasons with maybe more out-of-state games than in-state games, but never anything like this. And it's funny that, that Cathedral has not kind of rotated back to playing largely Indianapolis schools. And, and they're going to mix in. I think Cathedral's going to play at least one or two out-of-state teams, but I know that in future years even more of these 6A schools are going to kind of start playing them. That is kind of one of the unintended consequences of, of the MIC being at six teams and of Cathedral and, or, I'm sorry, Center Grove and Carmel being independents is that now there seemingly is more schools willing to play Cathedral locally. Other school that I want to point out their non-conference schedule is Ben Davis. And Ben Davis uh, had planned on hanging on to the Center Grove game, and I think they're going to come back on the schedule as soon as next year. But Ben Davis had a chance to play and host IMG. I get to do that game in week number four, September the 8th. I'm looking forward to that. Ben Davis is opening with Moeller coming up this weekend. You know, Carmel is now a non-conference game. Avon's another non-conference game. So as much as we're talking about Center Grove's schedule, we need to make sure we kind of give a nod to what Ben Davis is doing because they will be battle-tested. And even though they've got a new head coach in Russ Mann, they really have two Division one caliber quarterbacks on the roster, and they return almost not all. They lost a couple of good wide receivers, but they return so much experience defensively as well as at quarterback and running back. Again, I think BD's going to have a really good year as well. Danny O'Neill, Tyler Cherry start out as front runners for Mr. Football in a lot of eyeballs? I think they do. And I mean, obviously, you know, they both made the Division One commitments in terms of Colorado and Duke. If you look at ratings, I think they're six and eight, respectively, depending on what service you look at. Sure. There is an Ohio State prospect at wide receiver that plays for New Haven. Uh, there, there's two talented players that play at Northwood. One of them is Josiah Edmond, who was a Warren Central kid who relocated up to that area, that he's the kid that just flipped his commitment from Purdue to Michigan. So there are other kind of higher rated players in, in, in this class, but at the same time, you've got a kid that, that you know was the starting quarterback 
on a state championship team in 6A last year that has a chance to go for a repeat. And the other kid will be a three-year starter at Cathedral and was nearly a four-year starter. He was, It was close to Danny starting as a freshman at Cathedral. And the fact that at a school that's so prestigious that he basically will hold every passing record at that school if he doesn't hold it already – it's tough to top a quarterback in an award like this, which I often, you know, who, who wins in week nine could go a long way in who Mr. Football is going to be. So Greg Rakestraw is going to get it all started coming up on Friday night. And, of course, Saturday he's got you preseason game number two with the Bears and the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline and a nice call coming up on Saturday night after the game on the drive home, right? Well, that's the thing is that, you know, not only am I, am I doing the television broadcast, right. I have the post-game show as well. So I was thinking about this. I think the time that I'm going to have to call this program is sometime early in the 10 o'clock hour. Ah, okay. Because I have to fight the flow of traffic to go from the second floor where the network TV booth is right. back up to the 700 club to do the post-game show. <laughs> Normally it takes me about a half an hour to wait for an elevator. That's probably when I'm going to call the show. Hey, by the way, too, will you guys have Jim Ursay in the booth? Jim Ursay will be joining us in the third quarter uh, coming up on Saturday night. All right, buddy. We'll be watching that, definitely. Now, are you going to lob the questions? you going to let Rick? Uh, that will be largely a Rick Venturi television production. Oh, uh, I'll yeah. Be, uh, I'll be sitting back, taking in all the action, and and trying to somehow swimming in stream and say, "Hey, fellas, <laughs> we need to take a commercial timeout." Back after this, as you're watching Indianapolis Colts football, uh, buddy. We'll be watching, Greg. I appreciate you. See you, pal.